0: During this episode, we connect with Dr. Jay Shaw, Chief Medical Officer of Actia, a high-growth startup revolutionizing blood pressure monitoring. Bringing deep clinical expertise, Jay is driven to apply technology to solve practical problems in medicine. While together, Jay shares how Actia's innovative cuffless arm bracelet tracks optical blood pressure signals to provide continuous, actionable data. Additionally, Jay unpacks the potential to empower patients through tests, assessing interventions over time, facilitated by remote monitoring. We also delve into leveraging partnerships to scale impact beyond the device itself. Join us as Jay outlines the future of preventative, patient-centered hypertension care enabled by novel digital health technologies and gain inspiration from his dedication to improving this silent epidemic by impacting over a billion people worldwide. Let's go. Hi, Dr. Shaw. A big welcome to our podcast today. Thanks very much for having me, Mike. It's great to be on the show. Well, given your deep medical expertise and leadership in healthcare delivery at city general hospitals, community settings, all the way to the Mayo Clinic, and your passion to leverage your background to drive innovation and growth in the hypertension space, I'm looking forward to this important and exciting conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli" on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Jay, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the Actia team are reinventing blood pressure monitoring. But first, What's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? I think the biggest thing I would
1: say is to not conform to the traditional structure of the healthcare system.
0: In whatever innovation you're trying to achieve, don't follow the rules. I love it. We need to be breaking rules. Uh, you know, we need to cause what I like to say. You know, we've heard this before. so cliche in politics, but it's also true in innovation. We need to cause some good trouble. Obviously, what we've been doing for the past, you know, just several decades is not working. If we continue on the pace that we're on, we're going to bankrupt, literally bankrupt this country. Is this how you always thought, Doctor Shaw? I know you came from being a practicing physician. You're now in the innovation game. Where did you come up with this mindset, and when and how?
1: Yeah, it's been a journey. You know, I started, you know, medical school and training, as you said, City General Hospital in Kansas City. I thought, I imagined I'd just be a good old-fashioned doc, you know, having a community practice, treating a bunch of patients, building a community and, and a life around that. That's why I went into medicine. And then sort of I started opening when I did my training at Massachusetts General Hospital, you know, was working with really amazing people that were colleagues co-trainees or residents doing incredibly different things, you know, from going to the White House uh, for a fellowship, going to McKinsey or consulting, starting their own biotech, inventing molecules, going to pharma. It sort of really opened my eyes to, you know, the many other avenues of what you can do with a career in medicine. And then I got my cardiology training at a place called Washington University in St. Louis. It was a great, huge high volume, very high quality center. And I, you know, just really cut your teeth becoming an excellent cardiologist there. And then I did what I thought I was going to do in the beginning. I went out to Portland, Oregon, and I started my own practice from scratch. So, you know, a community style practice, becoming a doctor for whole families or friends and relatives and But I learned the business of medicine in doing that as well. You know, I never thought I would start my own practice. Most people coming out of training these days don't think that they're going to start your own practice from scratch, but we literally started with two EKG machines and a medical assistant. So it was, you know, negotiating real estate deals to purchasing equipment to par levels for IV tubing to, you know, writing the protocols for my labs and et cetera, et cetera. And so I really learned a lot about the business of clinical medicine. As I built that practice. And I really loved that part of it, the building part of it. So that was sort of my initial, you know, go at medical entrepreneurship in the vein of traditional, you know, care delivery. And then after about five to seven years, things kind of got stagnant for me. I had built the business, all I had to do is show up and run it. And that was a little less interesting to me, although I really did enjoy my patients and the practice that I had built. And then I got an opportunity to go to the Mayo Clinic and kind of do another building process within a much larger organization, obviously, but build a specialty clinic for complex thoracic aortic diseases. And so same sort of process, although it may be a, a smaller uh, microcosm within this large organization. And sort of while at the Mayo Clinic and, and kind of, you know, over a decade into clinical practice, I started kind of wondering, where was all this experience going? You know, I got to the point of being an expert in cardiology and aortic aneurysms and what is an expert but someone who knows more and more about less and less. And so one of the things that I started thinking about is how can I apply that expertise, all these sort of years of training and doing and practicing in patient care, how could I apply that in a different way, maybe in a broader scale, and where I could continue growth, where I could continue learning in a way that that I wasn't necessarily feeling in clinical practice. And so that started me down a pretty lengthy exploration of, you know, what are the other opportunities? And I really, I talked to hundreds of physicians who had gone into other careers and simply started asking them, what is that position about? You know, what does the chief medical officer of J.P. Morgan do? No idea, you know. And so what that was really helpful in doing is I started crossing things off the list the list is huge of what you can do. So it's really not helpful to consider all of them. So you need to start you know, learning about each one of these arenas and start saying, yeah, that's not for me or okay, maybe that's in the maybe pile, or maybe bucket. So I really started crossing things off and that boiled it down to a few things. And one of which was sort of a medical device, health tech startup kind of role. And so I started looking for those and that's how Really, just by chance, I was about to put my search on hold, know, I'd been doing it for a year. I was kind of tired, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a pause for the holidays. But the last thing I saw on LinkedIn was just this job posting for Actia as chief medical officer looking for a cardiologist who knew a lot about hypertension. And so I said, sure, I'll throw my hat in the ring, and, and that was it. One thing led to another, went through the process, and met the team, and I really loved the team, the ideas, the philosophy, the technology, the innovation. And I said, "Okay, this is it. I'm going to try.
0: Unbelievable backstory. And what a great way to set this up and all the conversation we're going to have about Actia and where you guys are at, where you're heading, how our community can help you. We're going to talk about all that and more after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, Develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, CirrusMD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event. Visit catalysthealthtech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Jay Shaw, Chief Medical Officer at Actia. Jay, thank you so much for the front end of the conversation. A little bit of the backstory of how you found, you know, the process that you went through to get there, checking things off the list, throwing things in a maybe pile, and then going after those yeses, just like you did with Actia. So let's start there and we'll talk about all the good things that are happening in the Actia camp, who you guys are, where you're at in this space currently, where things are heading, and of course, how we can help you. But Jay, after you 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 mentioned on the other side of the commercial break, you mentioned you reached out to the Actia team via LinkedIn. How were those initial conversations when you did reach out to them? Obviously, you're a deep expert in this space and they're doing some pretty incredible work with their building. How did those initial conversations pan out when you first reached out to Actia?
1: Well, it went pretty fast, all, thing, all things considered. I was also applying for a different job, which was going you know, quite slow, but you know, a different type of company, publicly traded, large company. And it's healthcare. <laughs> right, and, and that too. So that process was going, kind of going quite slow. And in the midst of it, I got a ping back from Michael Kish, our CEO, and uh, he said he wanted to talk. And we had an initial conversation you know, via a virtual call. And then it just so happened that I was taking a vacation in San Diego, which is where he's based. And so we met over lunch and that was a great couple hour conversation. And then that led to meeting the whole rest of the team, including the founders, Joseph Sola and Mattia Berci, who were just, you know, really what struck me about the entire team is their thoughtfulness and their sort of willingness to put the sort of the core innovation and what they wanted to do with it, meaning holistically, you know, improving the care of hypertension for millions, if not billions, at the core of their mission, rather than, you know, getting acquired or being sold or being a feature on some other watch or device or something like that, you know, really put the patient at the forefront, which is what I think got me hooked a bit and said, okay, this is worth me jumping off, leaving Mayo Clinic and, and sort of the security and stability of that to go do something different. And I think that's what really got me interested and, and kind of, you know, made me take that leap.
0: Well, let's talk about that unique offering and kind of that position in the marketplace that you kind of just outlined a bit that they aren't just looking for that acquisition target. They aren't just looking to sell. They aren't looking to just be another feature on some larger technology. Let's talk about it. Who is Actia? Give us that elevator pitch. Who is the company and what are you guys building? The primary problem we're focused on is hypertension and
1: hypertension. Everyone knows what kind of generally what hypertension is, high blood pressure. It's so common that it's honestly, nobody really puts that much importance upon it anymore. It's 1.4 billion people in the world have it. 130 million Americans have it. One in two adults over the age of 65 have it. So like it or not, either you'll have it or someone you know or love will have it. And it is the world's most common chronic disease and the primary input into the most common causes of death and disease in the world, namely cardiovascular disease. So it's a huge problem. It is very poorly managed by our healthcare systems these days and by us as clinicians even, taking my (laughs) personal role in that as well, is that globally control rates are at about 20%. One in five people who have high blood pressure have it under control. In the U.S., it's not much better. It's about 26%. So despite the fact that we know very well how to manage high blood pressure, we know very well what it does, we have very cheap medications, we have very good interventions, and we have very easy ways to check your blood pressure, we're not doing a very good job. And there are lots of reasons for that, but this is the problem that we're really approaching at Actia. So what Actia is, the core innovation that Josep Sola and Mattia Bertzi, our founders, really developed over the last two decades in Switzerland, the company's been around for five years, but their work has been going on for almost 20 years, is the ability to take a optical signal from the skin using LED lights and a sensor, an optical sensor, and deliver back blood pressure values that are high quality, accurate, and validated. And that is the primary core technology. So it involves a small, simple device, a bracelet that you wear on your wrist that takes those signals. And using our algorithm in the cloud, it turns those signals back into accurate and validated blood pressure for the user. So in essence, all someone has to do to really track and understand their blood pressure over time is just to wear the device. And it's essentially like a continual blood pressure monitor that will give you those blood pressure readings and no real need for that annoying cuff or sitting in a certain position, you know, interrupting your day or schedule and all those things. So that is the real core innovation at Actia.
0: And so, Jay, some of the differentiators there, just some questions from a layperson. You know, you mentioned the cuff, right? That, those are moments in time, right? I got to imagine this is a continuous monitoring event. And then all, so maybe you can, uh, you know, shed some light on that. And then, of course, also, Jay, what does that mean for the consumer? Yes, you know, I, Mike, might be wearing one of those, but what does that mean for me? What can I do with that information? Is my care team involved? Can you unpack a little bit of that? There's a lot to consider there. And what historically people and
1: physicians too have always considered blood pressure at one point in time. Like you said, a cuff will measure it at one moment in time. And actually, that's not even when a cuff is supposed to be used. A cuff is a regular cuff is validated and supposed to be used in one position and environment. This is the only one it's ever been validated in the entire 60 plus years of, of automated cuffs. You're supposed to be seated, relaxed. Your back is against a chair. Your feet are against the floor. Your arm is at heart level. You're supposed to not talk to anyone for five minutes, not hear anything for five minutes. No children should be around you. You should have an empty bladder, empty bowels, no clothing on your arm. You should have not exercised in 30 minutes, no caffeine in 30 minutes, no alcohol in 30 minutes. And then you can check your blood pressure for the cuff. Now. Does that sound like an environment where our blood pressure is normal for us? Is that our normal environment? Or in no way does that sound uh, realistic, Jay. Right. <laughs> so, uh, even in healthcare, we check people's blood pressure when the hospital, pe- things are beeping all over the place, like there's IVs going in and in the clinic, nobody does follows this protocol generally speaking. But that's the only protocol where cuffs are supposed to be used. And beyond that, The concept that your blood pressure is stable, if you take that one episodic measurement and the assumption that that is your stable blood pressure for the rest of the time, so one measurement takes maybe five minutes technically, so the assumption that your blood pressure is 120 over 80 for the rest of the 23 hours and 55 minutes of the day is completely erroneous. And we know that physiologically, our blood pressure fluctuates, it changes, it changes. There's trends over days, weeks, months, years. It fluctuates. But we don't capture that at all with episodic blood pressure readings. So the only way to try to capture that is to get many, many more readings. And that's what the guidelines for high blood pressure recommend. But it is very difficult to do that given how a cuff is designed and developed and how it's supposed to be used. Which is why most people just simply don't do that. So the idea of having an easy, automated, passive, continuous monitor to look at your blood pressure and to track those trends over not just days, but weeks, months and years is a real major innovation. And one that's you know, sort of quantum leap. I mean, the blood pressure technology really hasn't evolved in almost five decades. Beyond that, There's a physiologic underpinning that is much more important, is that blood pressure does its damage over long periods of time. So one day, one minute, one hour of blood pressure that's outside the normal range actually doesn't really put people at significant risk over long periods of time. It doesn't cause the heart attack in 30 years or the stroke or the heart failure or kidney disease or aneurysms. What does is having your blood pressure outside the normal range for months, years, decades. That's how blood pressure does its damage. And so our core perspective and philosophy at Actia is that we want to enable people, patients, physicians, health systems to really assess somebody's blood pressure outside the normal range or in the normal range, but assess the blood pressure over long periods of time and optimize their blood pressure over that period of time to then minimize the chance of those severe and catastrophic complications in the future. And that is our core perspective and how our core innovation ties into how we're building the overall software product.
0: So, how does that work tactically, Jay? And that's a great way to frame it up in regards to those episodic types of care versus what we actually really need to make significant progress in this arena. But, Jay, what does that look like tactically for the care team around patient Mike? Are you feeding them data? Are they getting a data feed on the other side of this technology? How does that look tactically?
1: So I'll give you today and I'll give you 5, 10 years from now. So today, it looks similar to kind of what you described. So in the EU, UK, where we have regulatory approval, we have health systems clinics are using this already. And what it enables is all their patients with hypertension can be monitored by this device remotely. And it continuously and automatically streams that data into the health clinics and systems on their electronic health record. A patient doesn't have to push a button. They don't have to send an email. Or in the UK, <laughs> patients told me they don't have to send a paper fax because that's how they communicate, you know, sometimes with their clinical offices. So that stream of data goes automatically. And so the, so the providers and the clinics can really assess hundreds, thousands of patients quickly, easily, and simply over long periods of time. So that's how it works today. Now, in the future and near future, we're building in software layers and on the app and even for the physician, software layers around this core technology to start empowering people, patients, to really understand how they can make an impact and affect positively their blood pressure over long periods of time. So, what we imagine in the future is that the patient is in charge, which in truth for chronic disease management has always been true. But it's very difficult to do, and our system really isn't set up for that. So, to enable this sort of digital health technology, which is sort of the, its underlying promise, to allow the patients to be empowered with that data and say, what can I do in partnership with my healthcare provider and physicians to really make an impact with my blood pressure? So, here's an example to put it in concrete terms. When you go to the physician and somebody says, oh, okay, you, have, you seem like you have high blood pressure. What do I do about that? You're going to get a sort of laundry list by the guidelines of seven things that you can do before you get to medications. And you could probably name those things without me even telling you. Reduce your sodium intake. Increase exercise. Lose weight. Don't be sedentary. Decrease alcohol. Get better sleep. De-stress. Everybody knows these things. So there's a common but we have no idea as physicians, nor do the patients have any idea when they're listening to me, which one of those things makes a difference to their blood pressure. And is it realistic for a person to hear a laundry list of seven things, all of which are quite difficult to implement in their behavior, and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow every single one of those. I'm going to figure out how to do sodium reduction, alcohol reduction, how to improve my sleep, to decrease. It's not going to happen. So there isn't a clear feedback loop. Between the user, the patient, and their own data, to assess whether an individual intervention is working. So, if we say to them, and this is what we're building in our software, okay, let's do an experiment for Dry January. Let's see what happens for your blood pressure before January. Let's do Dry January. We'll help you do that on the app and sort of build in behavioral change, and then give you an assessment after that. And said, okay, does alcohol make a difference to your blood pressure pattern, or does it not? And then you have a concrete sort of experiment that's done on themselves to say, okay, it is really important that I stay under one drink a day because look at what happens with my blood pressure. So that's a behavior change that I'm going to continue and I need to continue. And then let's move on and let's try diet intervention or activity or exercise. Do it one at a time and build out this sort of intervention and feedback loop that we really don't
0: have as physicians or as patients
1: uh, currently.
0: And of course, you know, Jay, another big part of this it's taking not just healthcare by storm, but really the the planet right now. It's this notion of AI, right? We've been hearing about it tangentially for quite some time, and now it's front and center. We're all hearing about it. You know, I was just at the American Hospital Association Annual Summit, and one of the big topics was AI is not going to replace Dr. Shaw, but a doctor who is using AI is going to replace Dr. Shaw, right? And so we're hearing this time and time again. And I got to imagine a company like Actia, when you think about the data that you guys are Going to be receiving from these wearables from so many people that could be wearing this device. What does it look like for predictive? What does it look like for AI with a technology like this and the consumers that you are working with?
1: Well, I would say in regards to that tremendous amount of data, and you're right. I mean, our data set. We've been in the market two years in the EU, and we're now we're up to about 50,000 users, and we have the probably the largest library or data set of blood pressure in the world at over 100 million data points. So that's a great data set that's set up for machine learning to really help continue to improve our algorithms and to continue to improve the accuracy. That's not what you asked about. You asked about AI, but that machine learning is often kind of grouped with this AI-ML conversation. That is an already something we're doing. I think in healthcare, having practiced for a long enough time to know that these innovations, AI is not new in healthcare. They've had AI tools and radiology for probably over a decade now. The implementation and sort of buying and adoption of AI in the healthcare space is, I think, going to be significantly slower. And there's so many questions, just like everything else in healthcare. There's so many questions of where does AI need regulation? Where is their liability? There's a lot of questions there. But what I do think is that there's simple operational tasks today. A lot of them can easily be replaced by AI. And we're seeing that already in some of the collaborations between large healthcare organizations and AI companies. I think in the future state, what is possible is that certain parts of a recommendation engine based on underlying data that is real can be, you know, delivered by some form of ai if it's good enough and if it's sort of regulated and transparent i think is a big one in healthcare so i think those things will come i think there will be starts and stops and i think it'll go slower than probably people imagine but it's certainly the possibilities are, are quite numerous
0: well let's also continue on kind of the future state of things for our industry jay and kind of where Actia is going to be going as well so share with our community where you see things going on the macro for healthcare and in this space that, you know, with the high blood pressure, hypertension that touches so many patients and consumers, and what you and the team are seeing kind of on the macro for healthcare, what we need to be thinking about. And then, of course, where is Actia going to be in that future state in the next one to three, three to five years? How do you see things continuing to evolve and grow from here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of macro picture and predictions for healthcare, I would probably be foolish to really put any <laughs> realistic predictions out there of where healthcare is actually going to go. I would say where we wanted to go, obviously, is to where a lot of people wanted to go. So more quality driven, patient centered, you know, aligned with values and sustainable for providers, health systems, patients, payers, and the whole mix. Whether that's actually going to happen or not, you know, I think I'm probably a little bit more of a cynic on that in that regard, you know, because the alignment of values and just the rails of the system are so deeply set in the way that just in, continues to engender and compound the problems that we see kind of throughout so that is unfortunately uh, i think a fear of mine that that it, without some major drastic intervention reset total destruction of certain sectors i don't know that how that's really going to be fixed so to speak but what i do think is that it gives innovative companies and others who are looking to make a dent in this or at least a try is it gives us a lot of opportunity <laughs> because the healthcare is only going one direction, really, the healthcare system and the rails and payers and providers. It's kind of just following the same tried and not true, but tried and common patterns and for the last few decades. So, you know, to take a company like ours and say, let's really try some innovation on the prevention side. Let's really try to innovate and give patients the power to control some part of their destiny again, with partnership of a healthcare system, but put them at the forefront of their own data, of their own information, and of their own health. And I think that that is a, an endeavor that I think people really want. And the only place I would point for that is just the demand for our product. And consumers are the quickest ones to adopt it, the quickest ones to try, because of all the difficulties of interacting with the healthcare system. And the People are just not getting what they want, expect, or need from the traditional system. So let's give them
0: the tools to take care of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Meet the patient and meet the consumer where they're at and what they need, right? I mean, it's it's absolutely spot on, Jay. We can't wait for a big you know machine that is the healthcare industry to deliver that. We have to get proactive and meet those consumers where they're at. So I couldn't agree more with you, Jay. I often say that actually healthcare is working exactly how it has been designed by a select few. Like you said, there's deeply entrenched rails. It's actually working perfectly in a well-oiled machine for some of those folks who designed this in the first place. So enough of that. I'll get off my soapbox for now. That could be a whole nother conversation. We'll put the crystal ball back on the shelf for now. Let's get back to current state. Let's talk about how our community can be helping you and the team. What's one problem, need, or question that you and the Actia team have that our community can be helping you with?
1: Yeah, I'm going to answer that in just a second. I, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about with a future state on Actia is that people kind of look at our website and how the product is currently positioned, which is a, has a device component to it. What I think I would hope all our listeners know is that actually the device component has no proprietary information or components in it, all in the software. And where Actia is really going is to partner with third-party hardware devices, manufacturers, and allow our software to run on top of their hardware platform, which we know we can do. We've already proven it. And then that gives us an ability to expand our reach to tens of millions of people, really the install base of all large consumer electronics manufacturers that make wearables. And so that's really the sort of the major innovation that has come about in the last 18 months or so. That that's really the trajectory we're looking at in the next uh, near term, three to five years. Now, I think getting to your main question of what do we need help with? Is probably two things. One, we are in the midst of our Series B fundraising, which obviously, from a macro climate, has been more difficult in the last year than it has historically has been in the last maybe let's say three or four years ago. And so, certainly, if there are any interested parties, especially any strategic type investors we would be happy to talk and discuss further. And I think the other part would be anyone who is a health system provider. We are really expanding, and it is growing quite rapidly, our our sort of B2B market and product offerings. And we are looking to expand that further here in the next 6 to 12 months. And so certainly in the EU, UK, and Canada is coming soon, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, those would be the markets that we are in or going to be in in a very near term. So we're always looking for sort of proactive, forward-thinking healthcare partners that might want to try something that's really innovative and different for their patients.
0: And Jay, for the the folks in our community that can be of help or of interest in talking about some of the things you just shared and learning more, how can they get a hold of you, social media handles, websites, or otherwise? How do they track you down online? LinkedIn is
1: the best way for me. That's the main social media platform that I would say. So just look me up on LinkedIn and you can ping me there. If you want to know, you know, all our social media handles are at Actia Global. So for every, all the social media platforms and then our website, of course, you can put in requests or for information or to contact our enterprise team, um, www.actia.com,
0: A-K-T-I-I-A.com. Easy enough. And for our listening community, just simply scroll on down into the episode notes, find those contact points for Dr. Shaw and the team. Or you can head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for this episode where those contact points will be as, as well as an opportunity to leave any comments and suggestions for Jay and the team again over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Jay, it's been an exciting conversation. We have one more little piece for you before we sign off. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because I love working with the team I work with. I absolutely love it. That's what it matters most, right? At the end of the day. I've been an entrepreneur many times over as well. It takes a lot to build a game-changing company and you're working with your team tirelessly and endlessly. So good, good feedback there. Very important that you and the team are continuing to work closely together to move something that is incredibly important to so many people around the globe. Jay, thank you for all that you and the Actia team are doing. Thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast today. Really, really appreciate this conversation. Again, thank you for being with us today. Thanks very much, Mike. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli.